Good morning, good people, and welcome to the Black Pill Radio Show. I'm your host, Tyler, and today we have an interesting panel with us today. We are talking about incarceration and all the things that go with incarceration as well, community policing and how people are treated in general when we're dealing with the justice system, or as some people call it, the injustice system. So we're going to let the panel introduce themselves before we get started on the show, and I'm going to start with Mr. Dominic. Hi, my name is um, Dominic Sarner. I'm an attorney. Um, work at uh, Wingate, Carney & Cullen. I'm a partner there. Prior to that, I was on my own for about 16 years. Um, I do a lot of work in family court with incarcerated uh, parents. I'm on the uh, 18B panel there. A lot of work in uh, the area of custody, visitation, termination of parental rights. Um, uh, and that's uh, quite a bit of what I do and have done. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Leila Martinez, and I am a student at Columbia University. I'm a senior studying uh, human rights, and I'm uh, the president and founder of Beyond the Box Initiative, which is a student group for formerly incarcerated students. Hi, I'm James William Young III. I'm a community liaison of Neighborhood Ventures, um, a circle support public speaker, and I'll be talking about confinement inside the prison system. Uh, how you doing? Good morning, everybody. My name is Donnie Caborn Rivers. I'm the founder of a nonprofit organization called I Am My Community, and we promote public safety. How you doing? My name is William Evans. I'm the founder of Neighborhood Benches. I'm also a student at Fordham University um, under the Masters, Masters of Science program for nonprofit leadership. Also um, one of the leaders with Just Leadership USA. Um, and I'll be talking to you about incarceration and transition. All right, sounds wonderful. So I want to throw the first question to Kevin. Kevin, can you briefly tell us about your experience of how you were incarcerated, what that process was like, then coming home, and what you're doing now with your organization? Uh, peace, keep on. But um, yeah, you know, I've been locked up like 77 times I've been arrested. So, you know, going through that and the and tribulations when I was young, and I've been in uh, federal jails, state jails, county jails, juvenile jails, every type of jail, you know? And as you get older, you get wiser. So, you know, I wanted to start my organization so I can help other young kids and people not go through the same trial and tribulations that I went through. You know, like I first started working, when I, I started working with a job called BRAG, which is Bronx Rise Against Gun Violence. Then me being in my community and noticing that, you know, people got go through homelessness, people in jail, domestic violence cases. There's so many different things other than gun violence. So that's why I decided to name my organization, I Am My Community, so I can help everybody inside my community one way or another. All right, sounds wonderful. And William, what's, what's your situation in terms of what you guys do with Neighborhood Benches? Well, with Neighborhood Benches, we focus on um, youth incarceration and youth violence. Um, as a youth, I was in incarcerated and I was a victim of gun violence. So we make sure we, um, we return to um, Niger Developments, also known as the projects, and we make sure we, we, um, we locate the role models of those developments in and um, help them develop their leadership and organizational skills. So they, so in, in, in return, they could design the programs needed for their projects. 
Uh, we don't believe in one size fit all, so we make sure we help them focus on that aspect. Okay, and can you add to that as well? <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, I'm James Ray Young III. As uh, my co-founder said, we do help the youth, and I am one of those uh, 60% that are uh, out of NYCHA development that has been arrested. Yeah, um, I was 15 years old at the time. I caught my first charge, and um, by that, they sent me to Rackers Island. Uh, I got into an altercation with the officer there. And by being, you know, young, and my mind hasn't fully developed at the time, I didn't know what I was up, up against. They put me inside solitary confinement for uh, 250 days. Uh, 90 of those days, I was sitting in a cell with broken ribs. And I didn't even know that I was going to live or, or, or die. Um, with the help of, you know, family members and a nurse, you know, I, I wound up coming home. And now I'm giving back to the community. Uh, the youth is at a, a, a total carnage um, inside nature development. You know, they have been lost. They have not been heard. You know, their voices like been disappeared, disappeared, and they have taken on the role of adults instead of childhood. So that's what we're here for. All right, and Layla, can you tell us about your situation a little bit? Hmm, where do I start? <laughs> um, as he was talking about uh, solitary confinement, it's funny because recently, um, I, I, I'm public speaker, I speak a lot about incarceration and uh, things that are going on. And it's funny how I, I, I hadn't actually realized that I was in solitary confinement myself for not a long time, but it was about, I think it was like five days when I first got to prison because I had a history of uh, mental illness. They put me in observation and I would, this is my first time in prison. Um, I, I, I was just put in a cell, completely naked, with someone in front of the door watching me 24 hours for about five days until, it, that was suicide watch, basically. So how did you feel uh, mentally when you were isolated? It, it was incredible. It was... I wouldn't stop crying. Um, I think that's why they left me more more days, right? But you're you're in a cell, complete, no books, no clothing, no food, nothing. You would only come out to like shower and make a phone call. So it, I was devastated. I was crying all the time. I, I didn't know what to do. What to like? It, it was. It just makes things worse. So I don't even understand. And when I when I realized that recently, that messed me up too. Because I was like, well, how do you, how, how, did, how did your brain, like, I, I, I kind of blocked it out of my. So you tried to put it, put it behind. I put it behind me. <laughs> I, I think that's, I, I really did. I, I mean, I, I blocked it out for, not, not so much that I blocked it out, but. You just suppressed it because yeah. you didn't want to deal with it. You didn't want to face what had happened to you. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So that messed me up for for about a week or so, too. So, James, you, did you feel similar to how she felt when you was in solitary? Yeah, somewhat. I could piggyback on how she felt. Um, I identify, um, you know, you, I can actually compute what you're saying. Um, actually, like, a lot of people be talking about 
how do you deal with it? Basically, you can't really deal with it. You gotta just accept it. Like, what I did was this. Close my eyes, I thought about home. Um, you know, when you live in, in a cell, the size of a, <laughs> a box, and people are walking around you and they know your situation, you're mentally, you start to feel deserted. You start to close in. Everything starts to close in on you. And it, it takes years and years of you to, even right now today, like, it still affects me. A lot of people come home, a lot of individuals don't understand that five, 10 years later, that same effect that you went through, you might wake up in a cold sweat at nighttime. So I understand where she's coming from. You know, um, it's, it's a scary feeling. So there's a popular documentary, the Khalif Browder documentary that's on TV right now, six part series. And they talked about how he was incarcerated for over, he was in solitary confinement for over 300 days. And that when you're in solitary confinement, you're not exercising your brain cells, your brain is a muscle. So his brain is deteriorating, right? And, and you guys experience a little bit of that. So when he came home, and even when he was incarcerated, he said he was feeling very suicidal. Um, did any of you guys who've ever been in solitary for a long extended period of time come home and feel that way? Well, I, I can say me, myself, I, was, I, I stayed in the solitary confinement. Because, you know, it was like to the point where, you know, you become institutionalized. So I felt like I, when I went in, like, you know, after being arrested so many times and being in the <clears> middle <throat> of this, that, and the third, it was like a form of escape. If you really, you know, like, I'm going to get away from all y'all, man. You know what I'm saying? So there's two different parts of people going to solitary confinement. You know, like, I go to, I mean, like if I had a choice to be here, to be there, and I don't have to, but I was incarcerated, I better go to solitary confinement. As long as I got books and I got magazines, I can stay focused. But then you got some people who, it kills them. Because when they sit there, they don't got, you know, their brain got too much time. So you sitting there, you got, you know, and you like, I got time and I can't move. I can't go nowhere. I'm trapped in this box. So it do make you feel, because I used to sit there and have to talk to people a lot of time. And when they in that box, a lot of people get suicidal. I'm talking about some of the toughest dudes that you do, that you be out on the compound with, and they get in the box and they break apart, man. And you got to really like coach these dudes on because they be ready to give up. They can't, that, that box is a killer, man. It's a mental killer. So how does, how does that affect you guys for people on the panel who have children? Right. So are your children coming to see you when you're in the box? Is, is that allowed? Do you get that visitation? And if you're not getting that visitation, you're not getting that one-on-one -on -one contact with your family because you locked up, what does that do to you? So I, I had a son uh, when I was incarcerated, but that doesn't apply to me. I was just in the box for like five days. Five days. So I don't know about that. Oh, man. I wasn't allowed to see my son because of my situation. So the family thing that they quote unquote say they use in prison, that was taken away from me. Um, <laughs> the last time I seen my son, he was crawling. The next time I came out the box, he was trying to walk to me. So that was a hurting feeling for me. You know, I felt like I neglected him or I deserted him. As well as, you know, um, being a father, man, you're supposed to be there for your kids. And um, being behind that box, that's the only thing that I thought of that made me feel sane. Um, it definitely is a mental, uh, <laughs> it's a mental effect toward men and women. You know, when you you inside of a box in more than six or five days or a week. You know, um, it's like another life in it. 
You know, it's like you being stuck on an island and nobody's there. And that's how I felt. I felt really deserted there, man. I mean, I started to lose myself. And yeah, I mean, I never, I don't think no man would tell you this, but yeah, it was times that I thought about suicide in there. I thought about, you know, uh, nobody cared. Maybe I shouldn't care either, you know. But what kept me strong again was letters, you know, family members, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I can definitely um, understand what, what what they're all saying about solitary confinement. Um, prior to me, um, prior to me launching neighborhood benches, I was um, I was an ATI counselor with Fortune Society for five years, and I worked um, as a team leader, um, which is something like a supervisor for the ICAM program, which works on which is stationed on Rikers Island. Um, a lot of times we had guys that was sitting sitting in, in jail for two years, six months, and a lot of them is is is, is hyperactive. So they'll get they'll get placed in solitary confinement for situations like that. And we we and being released into this program that they're supposed to be there for six months, um, six to twelve months, um, um it's kind of hard for them to actually transition, you know. Um, I remember having having a young man that was that was part of the ACS system, and he was he was incarcerated um, on Rikers Island, and we got him out probably about like um, after he did two years and a half, you know. Um, so he was always talking about his stories um, where he was he was detained and where he was he was put in solitary confinement, which they called the box. Um, and as a young guy, he couldn't really he couldn't really wrap his mind around that. We had to um, we had to provide him with with additional counseling hours, with a therapist. He couldn't stay focused for school, you know. And he wound up being with us for like 24 months, and the program is only from six to 12 months. And that's I've I've seen that a lot with a lot of our participants during that time. So I want to bring Dominic into the conversation when we talk about being locked up, not being able to see your children. What, what rights do people have as, as a lawyer? What can you speak, how can you speak to that? I, I, I can. Um, first, I, I just want to touch on, I think what people have to understand is um, when you're uh, in, quote, unquote, the box, it, it's almost in a sense, we are, uh, people are, uh, human beings are attuned to be with other human beings. Our, our, our psych, uh, psychology, our emotionally, we are in tune to talk to people, to associate with people. When you are isolated, whether even if you voluntarily isolate yourself, it's very, very unhealthy. And the purpose, I assume, of going into the box, it's almost a sense of, uh, I don't know if I want to use the word torture, but that's really what it is. Because what they're doing is they're isolating you psychologically and emotionally. And it is very, very, very difficult to, uh, you have to be very strong with that. Uh, another point that uh, I, I heard touched on, um, when you're in isolation, um, I, I deal a lot, I represent, uh, not as much anymore, but in the past I represented a lot of indigent clients uh, whose uh, children were taken, uh, put in, uh, taken by ACS, put in foster care, either because it was a finding of, of a neglect or abuse. They went to jail. 
many, many, many times I have had uh, a case called and my client was supposed to be produced, he wasn't produced, and I find out he's in isolation. He's in the box, as you say. Uh, so not only does he not get to see his children, okay, um, and, and I, you give me two minutes, I will touch on that. It, it, it really puts a damper on his case, his or her case, because what happens is, what people don't realize is, your case is set for July 1st, 10 o'clock, okay, to, for a hearing on visitation or a hearing on whatever, whatever it is. If you're not produced for whatever reason, uh, whether you're in isolation or whether the, 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 uh, the bus came late or whatever the situation is, then you're gone three months, four months, five months sometimes before your case comes up again. So not only does it affect um, maybe not seeing your children, it affects the case. The because of losing your child. <laughs> well, yeah, and what people have to understand too is when your child comes into the system or the, uh, is placed in foster care, there is a ticking clock, mm -hmm. okay? So when you're, uh, you, you, your child is placed into foster care or what they call remanded into foster care for whatever reason, if that child is in care for 15 out of the first 22 months, they can initiate what we call termination of parental rights proceedings. So when you're in jail or you're, 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 you're put in isolation, and you, it, it really has, it's like a domino effect. It, it's just not, uh, can I put it, it's just not um, uh, affecting, it's affecting, it's like a domino. It affects everything and everyone everywhere down the line. So when you don't get produced because you're, it's a really terrible, terrible, terrible system. And I, I wish I had an answer. I really do. I, I've been doing it for a very, very long time and it is a very, very difficult situation. I have had clients uh, come to me, they get produced or whatever, Miss, you know, Mr. Sonner, I, what do I do, how do I do this, what's, and it's a very, very difficult situation. But that's, you know, the definition of the box, and like in the state they call it the box, when you be in the feds they call it the shoe, but the definition of that is punishment, is punishment in a jail, so it's like a jail beyond a jail, so the worst of the worst go to the box, you know, basically, so if they say you break the law and all that, they put you in the box. If you don't follow the Jews, I mean, you don't follow the rules of the jail, and then sometimes, like they said, they'll just snatch you up and throw you in the box. You know, if they feel intimidated by you, or they feel you got too much influence in the jail, or they feel too many people will follow you, if you do this, they'll throw you in the box. So now, that's what they put you, they're putting you in there for that, to break you. And, that, they, and, and, and right. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the whole purpose you're putting in there. That's and I've the actually seen, I've seen dudes that, went from going in the box where they like top dog and nothing is wrong with you to you be in the box for a couple of months and you come back out and this dude is walking around the compound picking cigarettes off the floor. He talking to himself and it is like he is mentally gone. Like, but, and, and that's my point. My point is what it is, is it, 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 it again, we are social beings. We're, we're emotionally and psychologically tuned to so to associate with other people. Yeah. When you don't associate with other people for uh, substantially long periods of time, the psychological effect is tremendous. And I think um, you yeah. mentioned um, even when they, when you come out, yeah. you know, every it could be it, it's in a sense in a sense it could be a the equivalent of 
a post-traumatic stress syndrome of someone coming back from, from combat. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen people coming back from combat and it's months or years and all of a sudden they'll snap? Yeah. Right? That's exactly. Well, sorry. it's the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly what we have. Like, I, in classes sometimes, in sc- I, I, I want to sit somewhere. With, I was in a classroom that had almost 200 students and I'd always sit in the back because that's where... I, I didn't want people around me. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like close. Sometimes I get panic attacks. Right. I, out of nowhere. If I'm in a, in a place because I, I don't know, like I, I'm not used to seeing so many people. But you see, that's the problem. The problem is, and, and what people don't realize is, you can't lock everyone up forever. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to come be back released. Into they're going to come. So when they're released into society, what are you doing? What are you releasing into society? Yeah. Are you releasing a reasonably uh, in, intelligent, articulate person that wants to join, or are you releasing a person that's twice as bad or three times as bad as when they went in? So that's a good segue. So let's talk about what your organizations do, because when these people are released into society and now you're working with them, you're mentoring them, you're marching with them, they're protesting with you, um, who are you next to? Like, what, what, tell me about who these people are and what they're going through. Well, um, prime example would be um, would be prime example would be one of one of our young individuals just came home. Um, you know, for a point in, for a point in time, he's he's actually lost. Um, so because we bring so many organizations into the community to where they could formally introduce themselves. Um, our guys, which is males, males and females, they're becoming more comfortable with, um, with, with telling someone that they actually need their assistance. This could be for therapy, this could be for counseling, this could be education, this could be employment. Um, so that's one of the roles that we actually play. We make sure all organizations come in and formally introduce themselves. Because we're, we're working out of Niger developments. This is this is not only a battleground. This is this is this is a development where our youth constantly isolate themselves from one another. So going outside of those developments is something that they don't really focus on. So by us bringing organizations in to introduce themselves, it makes them more comfortable to say, "Listen, I do need help," and it takes them out of that box that they was in prior to us actually meeting them. So what we do, we try to make sure they understand that it's support out here, and we work, and we work in collaboration to offer them the services that they they, they need. So with the NYCHA developments, if you was convicted of a crime on NYCHA property, are you allowed to come back into NYCHA property? And if not, how do you reach those people? Being that you're working with people in the NYCHA community. Yeah, um, that's 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 another um, thing is that if. If they're um, if they're arrested for a charge on NYCHA developments, there's they're somewhat um, 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 kicked off, kicked yeah. out of the home. Um, so so of course we make sure we build links with attorneys and and any type of organization that focus on that 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 aspect. They have a program where they 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 they. Um, well, first, let me go here. They've been doing that with individuals, even if you're arrested and you're not on the property. So that's been a big issue. And um, you have a lot of organizations and attorneys that's actually fighting cases like that. So um, 
So when we run into cases like that, we definitely refer them out so they could get the assistance that they need because these young guys, you can't kick, you, you can't move them away from their family. It's bad enough that they're struggling as is. So when you move them away from their family, now they're basically on their own. Of course, they're gonna make some of the terrible decisions because their family is not around to support them. That's a, an interesting point. I think you're right. Uh, you know, the city doesn't want uh, people that were convicted of a crime, certainly people that, that commit a crime. But again, you know, it goes back to the point, um, are you making it better or are you making it worse? Now, I understand, you know, someone kills someone, murders someone, I, I, I get it. But if you kick a person outside or take a person from their family unit, whether it be an extended family or direct family, and you say, look, you have to leave, get out. First of all, where are they going to go? Number one. And number two, all you're doing is isolating them again. These may be people that were already isolated in the prison system, either through the box or some other uh, form of isolation. So again, you're isolating them. And my question has always been, are you making it better or are you making it worse? Because again, what are you going to do with that? They're in society. We, you, you, you can't just ignore it, I don't think. I, I never thought like that. Well, uh, you know, like I said, I, I in my community, we promote public safety. So me, myself, that's like a two-sided sword for me. I had to look at it two ways because at the same token, the person that is committing a crime and coming back in the projects, just like he need a place to come and stay, it's people that's inside the projects that live there that they deserve and got to live in peace without anybody coming in there with that too. You know what, um, just for, and I don't know why I didn't mention this, because I was one of those victims. I was one of the individuals, um, we have seven, seven buildings on um, Andrew Jackson um, development, and I went to visit an aunt and you know, um, the projects at, at that time was infested with crack with crack cocaine, cocaine yeah. Mm -hmm. And coming down the steps, um, you know, I guess police came in a building and everybody um, ran whichever way they wanted to run. And as I'm coming down the steps, because I was packing bags in the supermarket at the time, so I'm coming out of the, um, the, the um, stairwell and I get arrested because officers said that I had something to do with whatever was going on now. At that age, I didn't know what the hell they was t t talking about, excuse my, um, my um, language, but I was arrested for that. Um, even though the case was dismissed after I had to spend some time on Rikers Island, I was still no longer allowed on a property. So this leave me, and, and you know my father wasn't around, my, my mother was going through her own I issues, so it's like now I have to live on my own. And of course, my grandmother didn't want that, but I had no choice. In situations like that, we're forced to make adult decisions. And especially when you're, when you're not fully developed, I mean, it could become a difficult type of living arrangements. And this is something that you have to look at. Like, I was not only placed on Rikers Island for a little while, after being released, I couldn't go back home. So for, for me, I can relate to a lot of the young guys that's actually going through this, even when I was working as a counselor and as the work that we do now. So let me segue the conversation to Rikers Island, because it seems like everybody spent some time at Rikers Island, right? And it, it, de Blasio's talking about shutting down Rikers Island in 10 years. Um, one, is it possible to shut Rikers Island at, down in 10 years? Two, where are these people going to go? Are we gonna release them, and let them be free? Um, are we going to just build jails around the community, smaller jails, and place them there? Are we going to ship them out of state? 
we know that 85% of the people in Rikers have not been convicted of any crime. They're waiting for trial. Um, so are we going to release some of them and let some of them come home? Like, what is the plan, other than shutting it down in 10 years, what does that entail? Uh, peace, escape <laughs> Uh You know, like they say, the plan for the 10 years to shut it down, you know, is, is enough to let people start opening up other programs and get together and find out what programs and stuff that's needed. Now, 41% of the inmates on Rikers Island is dealing with mental health issues. So if the mayor and they Thrive NYC initiative come outside and start doing something with the mentally ill, then that'll take away 41% of the people who are on Rikers Island, period, that's getting incarcerated instead of being medicated. And you know what I'm saying? So that's 41%. Then you got the youth. He's supposed to be taking the youth out by 2018. He's taking them out. And then, you know, you got a, a, so many people that's heavily drug dependent that's on Rikers Island. Like you got the whole 42nd Street, the majority of them who just go to jail for the winter. You know, yo, I'm going in for the winter. Catch a little charge, come back in the summertime, come back in the street, start some more stuff. So you get rid of them brothers right there that's just coming to jail just for a free cot, and, you know, you know they're homeless. a free hot meal in, in the cot for the winter, get rid of them. Now, everybody else, go to the individual jail that you got arrested at. You got arrested in Manhattan, you go to the tombs. If you got arrested in the Bronx, you go to the boat. You got arrested in Brooklyn, you go to Brooklyn House. You get arrested in Queens, you go to Queens Borough. You get arrested in Staten Island, Staten Island keep on saying that they don't got no jail. Staten Island got Arthur Kill. So if you could bring people from upstate and it's good enough for them to go on Arthur Kill and be held, that mean that you could put your people, that's the whole them in there. If it's good in one jail, it should be for one inmate, it should be good for the next inmate. So I'm, you, I'm so sorry. Can let I, me jump can, in for one second. So you mentioned homelessness and you mentioned the youth being out in the street, right? So we know homelessness is at an all-time high in New York City. Yes. So when these people come out, we don't have services for the homeless people now. So these mental health people, they're just going to end up being homeless, in my opinion. And then when we talk about the youth, um, what services? Because Trump's trying to cut funding to, to uh, programs that work with the youth. So if we have the federal government trying to cut programs and then we're letting these youths come back out on the streets when we close Rikers, it just seems like they're gonna only get in trouble and end up back in jail. So I think we need some more funding associated with this, but I'm gonna throw that question to later. No, I'm not, don't throw that question at me, that's okay. I don't okay. want that question. I just have a real big issue with the word, with language, like we need to start, like, yeah, we have to, change the language. We have to start helping people change the language. So please don't use the word inmates. They're just people who are incarcerated. I really, it hurts my soul. It hurts my soul. At the reality, a lot of things that we sugarcoat. No, it's not about sugarcoating. We just got to start accepting them. And it's not about sugarcoating. Them, <clears throat> it's that there are people. And every time we, we add negative connotations to Label, it. Labels, yeah. 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 You, you, we take away their, their humanities. All of a sudden, we get, we get this orange clown in the, in the White House talking about criminals, bad hombres, and bad this and bad that. No, we're people that... I got locked up 77 times. And when I got locked up 77 times, and what I was doing, I was a criminal. I was doing crimes. When I got locked up and I went through there, I was an inmate. I got to accept that. I accept that, now I'm able to move on. And I'm able to better myself. I'm not going to try to let somebody give me a title that I'm not. And to I deserve that title and I earned that title. You're sitting in Attica and you're doing 25 years for a crime that you hit a lady in the head or robbed an old lady, you are considered an inmate. All right, so let's not get caught up on the labels, and that's fine. We, we, we got our preference on that, but I want to throw it back to the closing of Rikers. Yeah, um, just, just want to um, just um, add a little something to this. Um, 
because we are who we are, um, um, we have to we have to just make sure we're here to uplift each other. Um, a lot of it's it's, it's 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 a lot of things that that we do that our youth mimic, right? Um, and that's only because they don't understand. But as a community, we make sure we educate each other and we move forward. Um, just language and behaviors. So all of these things is definitely relevant to the work that we are actually doing. So I want to commend y'all for that as well. <laughs> um, when it comes down to the to Rikers Island and closure of Rikers Island, for one, we have to understand, right? If we want to stand by innocent and proven guilty, we have to make sure we treat people as such. Um, we're dealing with not only youth, but you're dealing with adults. And, 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 and each one of them have their own type of issues. When I was a ATI counselor, um, I ran into, I, I counseled a lot of males and females that was going through significant issues. You know, issues that, that they did not know how to deal with. So if you're taking these individuals and you're placing them on Rikers Island and they have this, this bail and no family, of course they're gonna sit there. So I think by us actually, by us actually pushing forward and making sure that they treat these individuals like individuals and, and for the ones that have these high bells for these nonviolent crimes, and they're actually placing them into programs like ATI to where someone can talk to them about their issue and actually guide them through the whole process of life, I think that would be a benefit. That would definitely cut, cut out about like 50% of the, um, 50 of, um, the jail population. So Kevin talks about, Kayvon talks about responsibilities, right? So who's responsible for the behavior and the actions of our youth? Is it the parents? Is it the school system? Is it the youth themselves? Is it a combination of all of that? Who's responsible for the, for the poor decisions that they make? Can I respond to that? Absolutely. I have an 18 year old. I have an 18 year old boy and you cannot blame me for my son's actions. Cause I have been more than a good parent. Oh, above and beyond i do things that and my son does what he wants to do and he's 18 years old i cannot put him over my lap and spank him anymore the last time i tried that boo you don't want to know what happened (laughs) so don't blame parents because it's a combination of everything um i definitely blame the community Right, because what happens is that we all have different type of characteristics. Um, when when our child is out there in the community, they're picking up on different things. They have their own brain. They they're in a development stage that's that's on their own. It don't have nothing to do with genetics. It don't have anything to do with any of that. It has something to do with what they see. Prime example: a lot of the things that we actually sit back and we fight for and we advocate for, right? You don't have a lot of people involved in it, right? And that's the same way you have to look at it when it comes down to the youth. Some of our children see things and know that it's the right thing to do. Some of our children see things and know that it's the wrong thing to do. But it's, a, it's about what they gravitate to. So as a community, we just have to work better. Well, uh, me, myself, I focus on parenthood classes. You know, I, uh, like the teachers there, I say the teachers do some things. I say the community do some things. But I bring it to the parent. I have uh, five kids. My oldest daughter's 30, and my youngest daughter, my youngest daughter's 14. And uh, I just feel that you know everything it boils back at home. Everything starts at home. They, your kid could go out in the street. Your kid could see what's going on. But if you stay there and you focus on them, you focus and focus and focus and put your all into it. And you gotta let them know that. I told my son, I got four daughters. I got one son. 
My son is 20 years old. I told my son from the first day he could come outside, I said, yo, bro, you're never going to be down with a gang. The only gang you down with is me. If anybody ever try to put you down with a gang, you don't argue with them. You come and show me who tried to put you down with a gang, and I'm going to show you why you should always be down with me, the gang that you're down with. So it's basically, you got to try to like, you know, everybody got their own method. Me, myself, I practice with my kids. You don't got to do, don't follow what I did. I got locked up 77 times. Y'all doing the total opposite of what I did. But certain things I did, I graduated from college. All my kids graduated from college, except for my daughter 14. So certain, and I did it with no mother, no father, running in the street going wild. So you got mother, father, certain things you should be able to do that I'm not going to let you cut off. Amigo? All right, listen. I mean, I hear everybody. Um, uh, listen, kids, right? Kids of today. I mean, our youth. Not only our kids. I'm talking about kids in the neighborhood. They are also our kids because we were once mm -hmm. our kids toward neighbors. Our neighbors don't trust our youth no more. Mm -hmm. Okay, and our our youth don't trust our neighbors. They don't have no respect for them. So what we trying to do? We trying to get that that normal that normal sense back. You know what I mean? With the, with the adults, Offended. with the youth. You understand? I mean, yeah, we know back when I grew up, or all of us grew up, our neighbors was like our parents. Mm -hmm. This is what we need again. I'm talking we about We need them. the village back. Period. <laughs> yeah. Which, it's, it, it's, just, it, it's interesting. Just, Tyler, just getting back to your point, on, just very quickly on Rikers, I think you made an excellent point when you said, uh, I don't know what the statistic was, 40 or 60, whatever it was. Rikers is a jail, it's not a prison. Exactly. Many, many times I have clients that have been sitting in Rikers, I'm not talking months, I'm talking years, years, and they haven't been convicted of, of anything, nothing. Um, they can't make bail, they don't have the money, they, they can't raise it, whatever it is. So, number one. Number two, I assure you, if the government wants to do something, it can do it. So when you said, can they close Rikers, I assure you, try not paying your taxes and see what happens. They will, I assure you, if they want to do something, they can do whatever it is they want to do. I'm just, just touching base on this. Children, first of all, don't come with instruction manuals. You know, it's not like you buy a... The uh, afterbirth is not a manual. Right. right. It's I not wish. like you buy a, uh, you know, a, 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 a television they mm -hmm. tell you how to set it up, yeah. number one. Number two, every child is different. And, and, and when you say, is it this, is it that, it, it, it's anything very good or anything very bad, generally, generally speaking, is a result of a combination of things. Very, very, very rarely... Can you point to anything and you say, wow, look how great that was, and you can point to one thing that made it happen. Mm -hmm. um, just off the air, we were talking about the Final Four. You look at those teams, it is a combination. It's the coach, it's the assistant coach, it's the center, it's the point guard. It's a combination. So anything very good or anything very bad is generally a combination of many things. And, and the point that was made that the community has to come together I think is an excellent point. 40, 50 years ago, I'm dating myself, I'm a little <laughs> older, I think, than everyone here, um, you, went out on this, you went out on your block or around the block or, you know, you knew, everyone knew who you were, mm -hmm. where you lived, mm -hmm. they knew your mother, they knew your father, maybe they knew your grandmother, so if they saw you, uh, pardon my friend, screwing around, they, they would say, hey, you know, not just go tell your parent, they Mm -hmm. Do whatever they need to do to exactly. stop exactly. it. And what's happened also, you have to understand that the society has changed. We now live in a very isolated 
society. The communities are isolated. The individuals are isolated. I mean, you walk around New York City now, all right? Do do you know why neglects and abuse cases are down Mm -hmm. so much in Manhattan? Because all the low, medium uh, income people have been pushed out. All right. That's why it's down. It's not down necessarily because things have got because they've gotten pushed out. I mean, I'm looking out the window now. You look at that. I'm Glad looking at something that, that I guarantee you, whatever is going up across the street there. I guarantee you anyone sitting at this table and again, probably couldn't afford to live there. OK, so the point I'm making is the people that are now moving in, everything is isolated. There is no more real community. And that is a big, big factor. It's not the sole factor, but it's, it is a very big factor. All right. Um, I'm from the Bronx, New York, right? I previously lived on 89th and West Central Park. Now, what I'm saying is this is why I'm a very big advocate toward neighbors and community. An old lady on my block, she asked, she asked me, can you help me with my bags? You know, and I felt good at that. This is what we had to get back to. You know, when a woman, an old lady can be like, oh, can you help me with this? Or can I send you to the store and you can go get my bag without me worrying about you taking my money? I need a loaf of bread. Can you get me a loaf of bread? I can't get out of bed. We had had this in the neighborhood before. Uh, I'm talking about in the Bronx, in in NYCHA development. We had that. Newspapers and everything. I I never lived in NYCHA, but in my my building where I grew up, if there... there's like maybe a hundred apartments and only 20 real people live there. Everyone else sold drugs <laughs> when I was growing up. And I was never afraid to be in my house or to come home at night or anything because the drug dealers would walk my ass up. <laughs> I'm sorry for the French, but it was a community. It was, they still around the block. They don't not doing that anymore, but they like, they, they, they call my mother, mom, different type of behavior. Yeah. So let me ask you guys, we're talking about the community, right? But in your personal situations, where your mom and dad's involved in your life, and is there correlation between them not being involved in your life to the decisions that you make? Because they're part of the community, too, and that's where it starts first. Before we get into what the neighbors need to do, what are your parents doing? Uh, let me get back. Like, it go back to what everybody was saying. You know, it go back to what everybody was saying. Everything starts at home. And the reason why I say that, that everything started at home, when I was young, you could be Andre the Giant. You could be Big Shaq. You could be Floyd Mayweather. You could do anything you want to to me, and, and, and you probably could get over with that. But if you said something about my mother, it was going down. I would have had a fight with Big Shaq, Andre the Giant. You know why? Because that's the level of respect I have for my mother. Once these people started coming out here, and the kids started selling their mother's crack, and waiting for your mother to get her check, and you and, and she your big customer, that's where all lo- the respect laws for parents is at. Mm-hmm. And so you can't expect somebody to come out in the street and you say the kids don't respect the, the adults in the community, the kids don't respect you because the kids don't respect their mother. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in the house fighting my mother and telling my mother, F you, F that, and F that, and then I come outside and you walk up to me and go, hey, young man, should you go up here, what you think I'm gonna tell you? Fuck you. Yeah, I do it to my mother, so I don't care what, what you telling me. So you know what I'm saying, at the end of the day, we gotta get back inside them houses and we got to get them kids tightened up so when they come outside, they know how to treat an adult. The reason why we got a lot of beatings back in the day, it didn't matter what we did. Because our mother just knew that if an adult called on you, the adult was telling the truth. And your mom's favorite, my mom's favorite line would be like, what do Miss Jones got to, got to lie on you about? You ain't got a pot to piss in and a window to throw it out. So what she need to lie on you about? Things change now. Nowadays, if somebody go to your mother, your mother gonna ask, if you go to your mother and say, oh yeah, I seen your kid doing that. 
Your mother want to fight me, your mm -hmm. dog. Oh, don't tell my kid nothing. Mm -hmm. Don't come at no, who are you? I'm his mother. I can't tell. The kid outside 4 or 5 in the morning, parents hanging off, robbing, stealing, you know? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's just funny, right? Because um, in my household, we grew up 15 deep. Right, and I, I use deep because it was so many emotions inside a household. And this is in the projects in a five-bedroom apartment. Um, our mothers and our fathers was around, but not present like my grandmother. So my grandmother, and 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 um, she she treated us with a level of respect. So we made sure we had a level of understanding. Um, whether this was her smacking us to get us straight, whether this was her telling us no TV because um, we, we was doing bad in school, no games, um, no outside, come upstairs before the sun go down. So it's a lot of things that was happening when I was growing up that's, that's not happening now. I remember when, when I returned to my, um, to my neighborhood after, say, about like um, seven years, and... It was dark outside, and you had a, at least 50 kids running outside. Mm -hmm. And I had to turn to one of the um, guys that grew up with, with me out there. I said, what is this? Yeah. Where all these kids come from? <laughs> so, no, they're, they're from, the, the, from the neighborhood. You know, so, so a lot of these things is, is going to parents are, are younger now. You know, um, some of these things are not being considered when you're looking at raising children. So in my time... We definitely couldn't be outside when the sun going down. My grandmother would call me from the 14th floor right. and say, get your behind upstairs. And we did not play with her. You know, so, so some of these things that, that, that may seem as little now, it was really relevant then because that, that prevented me from, from engaging in, in a lot of things. However, after that arrest, everything changed for me because now I'm no longer in my grandmother's home. You know, so now I'm waiting for the community, for the for for the so-called popular guys of a neighborhood to 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 raise me. You know, I gotta sneak in and out of the building and see my family. You know, so a lot of those things changed over time. But definitely my mother was around, my father was around, but I grew up in a household with my grandmother. My I, 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 my mom raised me. My dad wasn't around then. My, my stepfather was there. He was pretty good of a father figure. But I wanted to touch on that because what you were saying with the kids, right? So I, I'm, I'm a single mom. So it's not the same when you're talking to your child as me talking to a male child. Even if I'm screaming at him, even if I'm smacking the shit out of him, it's still not the same tone. So he's not listening to me the same way. And I have brothers and I have my stepfather, my father, everybody I spoke to, I'm like, listen, I'm raising this kid on my own. I need your help. He needs a man to talk to him. Ain't nobody help. I ask for the help and I don't like to ask for and that's kind of real because usually it'd be the females don't ask when everybody's trying to help. They'd be like, nah, nah, leave nah, my kid. I, want nah, I got help. this. So when you ask for help, <laughs> that's kind of real right there. Yeah, I grew up with both parents in my household, but um, at the end of the day, what happened is, as like any other young kid, curiosity take a toll on you. Um, my curiosity brought me to 19 Development. I grew up in a two-story house on 183rd and Bathgate. My friends used to tell me stories, and I used to hear these stories, and I was curious, like, oh, I knew when the light came on, I had to be in the house. This, I mean, this is the thing in the past. Like, the lights come on in the streets, you better be in your household. 
My oh, wow. friends used to be out at one and two in the morning. And I was wondering how and why. Like, <laughs> you're 13 years old. Why are you outside? You know, I can't do that. And curiosity brought me to my first charge. You know, I, I went out there. I seen what they was doing. And I caught a charge at, at age 15. But, yeah, in the household, it's, it's a big thing because, you know, when, when we grew up, we listened. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, kids say, oh, I hear you, Mom. I hear you, Dad. See, it's a different than hearing your parents <laughs> than listening to mm-hmm. your parents. It's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Understanding and understood. Yeah. All right, so I want to bring this to Dominic. Dominic, we all talked about some of their parents was in a home, some of their parents are not in a home. They're currently single parents, some of them um, trying to raise some children. What advice would you give to them based on your experiences? Um, it, it, first of all, it's, it, it's very difficult. Um, there, there are a lot of, obviously, challenges, emotional, psychological, legal. Um, it, you know, it's interesting when um, I don't do too many divorces anymore. I have a partner that does that. We, as I said, we do a lot of divorces, custody. But when I used to do divorces, it was funny. Um, when I would represent a, 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 the man, the, the husband, the husband would come in. He'd sit down, say, all right, how much is it going to cost me? What do I got to do? What do I have to sign? Blah, 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 blah. All right. When the, <coughs> a wife would come in, I had a client that was a wife. She would come in, and the first 45 minutes to an hour was a complete just... Shoot my brother down. Yeah. <laughs> it was a... It was a... And you would sit there. That son of a you-know-what, he... I gave him everything, he did ever. I did everything for him, and he was this, 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 and this. And you know what I realized? I realized that men and women approach life very differently, and it starts at a very young age. If you look at it, if you have a daughter, I have a daughter, I don't know. Yeah. If you look at your daughter, what do they watch? They watch princes, right? Everything's a princess, and they think, you know, from the t- <laughs> they think one day they're going to they're gonna grow up and they're going to marry this wonderful guy, he's a prince, and Night he's going to knight in shining armor. <laughs> And then they realize they get out in the world and, well, you know, most guys, if any, including myself, are not princes, (laughs) right? We all have a lot of problems. And a lot of times, for whatever reason, and I I, I don't know, you know, they they end up with the 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 wrong guy, the wrong gentleman, they break up, and then comes the fighting, the custody fights, the visitation fights, the child support. I don't want to pay child support. You don't let me see my kid. I'm not going to give you money unless you see it. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The best advice I could give anyone is um, make sure you're really, really ready to have children and really ready emotionally and psychologically to be in a relationship because you know people have this 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 these notions you know people love to get married <laughs> but they don't understand that what marriage is i mean marriage is a tough gig it is a tough tough gig it's not easy and having children it puts a tremendous amount of strain and stress financially emotionally because the child becomes your life and, and i have so many guys or they'll come to me and say, well, everything was great until we had a kid. Now she doesn't pay any attention to me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. She's not going to because the child is going to be her center. You're second or third fiddle, and that's just the way it is. So my advice is be very, very cognizant of what you're doing and who you're getting involved with. Because if you get involved with the wrong person, you're going to be in for a long legal fight on many, many issues. Custody, visitation, child support. And it's not a pleasant thing. So with five minutes left on the show, 
one one thing we didn't get to touch on was community policing, mm -hmm. right? Because that's that's a big um, piece of the pie in terms of incarceration and where we are, right? So we only got five minutes left, five of us on the panel. So I just want to throw it around real quickly, like in one minute. Um, what are your views about po community policing? Do you have any policies you would like to put in place? Do you have any policies you would like to change or end? Like, how do you feel when, when we deal with community policing? Well, for um, this, this is a good, good point. Um, part of what we do with neighborhood benches is we make sure we pull the individuals from the community so they could play a part in designing whatever type of programs is needed for the, for the community. This, 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 this includes the youth, this includes the elders, this, this includes anybody coming into the community. Um, I believe taking that type of approach, using the community to police their own community has a tremendous effect. So that's why we focus on that. Uh, well, I agree with Will too. I'm like that, you know, I feel that it takes the people in the community to help the community, because you know, we are the community. Mm -hmm. So we could each one teach one, we know each other, we have our best, we should have the best interest for each other and our kids and our neighbors. So, you know, we need the neighborhood to come together, man. You know, a lot of people do worry about what the police doing in the neighborhood, but if we keep the kids and have them doing things, the police would never be here. So we wouldn't have to worry about the police. The police only come in here because the kids don't have nothing to do. We put them in programs, get them jobs, get them job trainers. It ain't no police riding up and down uh, Riverdale Avenue. Ain't no police riding up and down uh, Throsnick. Ain't no police messing with nobody on Park up, Avenue. Up on West Side. Well, yeah, on Park <laughs> Avenue. So why should they be around our block? Yeah, um, police in the um, community is a real good thing. Uh, we are, at Neighborhood Benches, we are in tune with the officers in our, in our community. We actually have us. We have several officers and chiefs that's willing to help us come out here and talk to the kids to get a comfortability there. I think that's the biggest problem here. A lot of police that's being recruited, they don't understand what they go what they're going into. They don't you know, know the community. Like, <laughs> if they live up in the Hamptons, they have a big backyard. In our community, that is our backyard. Mm -hmm. Everybody that's sitting on the corner is not selling drugs. Everybody on the corner is not doing bad. They out there talking about the game last night, talking about the box, talking about school. So that's what we had to get the police familiarized with. Mm -hmm. that's right. I want to clear up a little bit something. My son, the aliens are giving him back, so he's not bad. <laughs> he's a freshman at John Jay. But I, 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 I'm scared for my child every day. Every day, because we don't have that community. When he's coming home, like I want to make sure that he's home, and I want to make. And if I hear something like a few months ago when the cops were killed in the Bronx, I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't worried for that cop right there. At that moment, I was worried for my baby. Where are you? Go home. The cops are <laughs> gonna be <laughs> pissed off. I'm scared, not for the person who's in the corner. I'm scared from from for my son from the police, and that's not what we should be. Like that's not that that that's sad right there. I, I think in general community policing can be good, but it has to be the community. And I think at one point New York City required, I think it was also for uh, firefighters and police officers to live within the city. Yeah. Now there was a reason they did that. The reason they did that, I think, they still got it. They still have it. Yeah, right? But people lie. But, but yeah, the, well, I'm going to get yeah. People <laughs> do lie. The reason why that was instituted, I believe, and, and I'm not a policymaker, is because they want people within the city to police 
people within the city. Now, I think a lot of times what happens is I, I, I think they lie. They end up moving to Suffolk or Nassau. Now, you cannot take an individual from uh, Manhasset, that's, that's where I live, and say, all right, you know, you're going to go, um, to we're going to put you to the Bronx, we're going to put you on the Grand Concourse, and you're going to put you... Marcy You might as well put, <laughs> put someone from here and put them on Mars and say, go, it, it's not going to work. Community policing, by definition, should be the community policing. That's right. And that's the way it should work. And if it does work like that, I think it can be good. Uh, but if it's not going to work like that, it, it's not going to work. So I, I want to address something Kevin's, Kev Bowen said about the police won't be in a community if we're doing what we need to do in a community. Um, jails is a business. And they need those jails full. Yeah. And those jails are full with black and Latinos, mm -hmm. right? They're just, black and Latinos. Just, just proportionally. Yeah, disproportionately. We all... know they're more whites in prison, but disproportionately yeah. is filled with black and Latinos. So it's a business. So they need to fill those jails. So they will be in poor communities. They will be in NYCHA projects. That's Thank never going to change. Yeah, but that's what you, but you, but you, 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 you said he hit it, the golden word. Blacks and Hispanics are going to be in jail, right? But they're only going to be in jail from certain communities. Mm -hmm. So that's why we know they coming to our community. It's they coming the to the poor community, but we know they coming. Mm -hmm. So we got to prepare ourselves so that our youth don't got to go through that. We know you coming, because we know we in a poor community. Mm -hmm. So we got to find out use jobs, and we got to prepare them for them you coming. Know, so I think just, the way we prepare ourselves is through finances, right? So yes. we have to own our own businesses, and that's how we build up communities. Because right now we live in neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We talk about neighborhood benches. We don't live in a community. We don't own nothing in the community. Mm -hmm. right? So. Financially, if we can get our finances together, that's one way we can we're combat kept some of the issues. We, just, we know that's a whole other show. But just from a, from, why, from a legal standpoint, that's a very good point because when, when they go into a poor community and they arrest Jimmy Smith, all right, Jimmy Smith doesn't know the judge. Jimmy Smith doesn't know the DA. He may not, when they arrest, Don't know the say they arrest me, okay? If I get arrested walking out of the building, I'll make a phone call. I will call someone and say, hey, do you know the DA? Do you know the AD? Oh, yeah, I went to law school with him. We went to Fordham. Mm -hmm. We went to this thing. It's a completely different yeah. scenario. So they're going to make a call, and they're going to say, yeah, well, you know, you're taking them down to Central Booking. We'll do it a different way because I happen to have gone to law school mm -hmm. with so-and-so. Remember, life is about relationships and networking. connections, networking. And if you have that networking and those relationships, it is a, I don't care whether you're arrested, uh, you know, for murdering a cop or arrested for picking up, uh, you know, stealing a, a candy bar or a candy bar out of a local delicatessen. It's a very different experience. So I want to thank you guys for being on the panel. It was a really great conversation. Thank you. There's man. a lot we can touch on getting into economics, getting into more of us being involved in the jury process, which we try to bail out from. And if we're on a jury, we can stop a lot of these um, illegal convictions and things like that, right? <laughs> so we need to get involved in the process, and that's very important. I want to thank you guys who are listening out there to Black Pill Radio. I want you to subscribe, share, like, comment. Let us know what's going on. Let us know what kind of shows you want to be a part of that you want to hear and we'll make that happen for you. I want to thank you guys for being on the panel. Everybody thank has you. some thank great you. input. Thank you. And I will see you guys in three weeks. We won't be on for the third Sunday, which is April 16th. We will be back on, on the first Sunday in May. Everybody have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon.